Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Through your sins, are, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We're always thankful to have visitors with us. Today is no exception. We hope that you find us a friendly congregation. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to consider the work here. We would be more than happy to have you join hands with us and do all that we can together to expand the borders of the kingdom in this community. We're going to be looking in just a moment at Isaiah chapter 1, and I want to call your attention to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. We're going to be talking about the theme, what is happening to our country. Before we begin, I do want to mention that our young men are going to be leading our, our worship service tonight, and I want to extend to you a golden invitation to come and to be a part of that. We would love to have you be with us tonight. We have two speakers. Brian is going to be speaking. This is the first time that he will be speaking, and so I know he'll do a great job. And then Danton's going to be speaking, and Dan has spoken on several occasions, but tonight's going to be a great night, and we want to do everything that we can to encourage our young men. We're proud of them, and we're grateful for the opportunity that they have tonight to lead our worship service and for the opportunities that they've had in days gone by. Today we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. We're going to be talking about what I believe to be a very sensitive and sobering subject. It has to do with the state of our nation. Many of us have probably been questioning what is happening to our nation. A lot has changed in this nation. If you look back over the last 50 years, there have been tremendous changes in the nation that we call home. And so what we want to do is to, in a very factual way, note what is going on. And then we want to look at what the Bible has to say in light of that. I want to begin by reading for you a proclamation for a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer that was read on April the 30th, 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln. Here's what he said. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced 
by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Nearly 150 years later, the leaders of our nation would do well to reflect upon the sentiments of President Abraham Lincoln and recognize the kind providence of a gracious God. I would freely grant that our nation is not a theocracy like Israel of old. It is a republic that has been the rich recipients of the manifold blessings of Almighty God. Our nation was founded by and large by individuals who had a deep and abiding respect for the Lord. Listen, if you will, to the sentiments expressed by our country's first president, George Washington. It is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. The great statesman Daniel Webster said, lastly, our ancestors established their system of government on morality and religious sentiment. Moral habits, they believed, cannot safely be trusted on any other foundation than religious principle, nor any government be secure which is not supported by moral habits. In this lesson, what we want to do is evaluate the status of our nation and then consider the Lord's expectations for us. I want to begin by first of all calling attention to the facts. What we want to do is evaluate in a very plain and forthright way the status of our nation. And there are two things that I would call attention to in this particular phase of our study. First, our mental viewpoint. And I take this specific point from chapter 5, verse 21 of the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah said in the long ago, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I am convinced that our country has been sold a false bill of goods when it comes to our origin. You and I have been made by the hand of Almighty God. We are not, as many espouse, the products of evolution or some Big Bang theory, but rather an all-wise, all-powerful, omnipresent God created us in His image and in His likeness. In Genesis chapter 1, at verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 26, the Bible tells us that God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. There are numerous scriptures that attest to the fact that we are the products of Almighty God. The universe in which we live, I believe, 
is evidence enough for a creator. The Hebrew writer said in chapter three at verse one, or rather chapter three, verse four, every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. The psalmist in the long ago in chapter 19, verse one, would say the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. God is the one who created the heavens, the earth, the universe, and mankind. And then I think about the words of the psalmist in chapter 14, verse one. To the skeptics, the agnostics, the atheists, the Bible still reads, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. If evolution or the Big Bang Theory is correct, then let me ask this question. How would those who are proponents of that way of how we came into existence, how would they respond to these questions? Number one, where did the original energy and matter come from? Number two, what caused the explosion? Number three, how could impersonal forces acting randomly construct a universe whose planets rotate with such precision that we set our clocks by them? The fact of the matter is those questions cannot be answered truthfully. Some would appeal to the writings of Carl Sagan and others. Some would say that they are experts in their fields of science. Carl Sagan, who is now dead, went on record as saying that the chance of evolution is minute at best. They are not experts in their field because ultimately the Bible tells us where we came from. And really and truly, biblically speaking, that's the only logical, plausible explanation for life, the universe as we know it. Let me call attention now to our misplaced values. In Isaiah chapter five at verse 20, Isaiah would say, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that call darkness light and light darkness. We live in a day and time when quite frankly, many American people, many people in this, in this nation are confused about what I believe to be moral values. We live in a day and time when many people, quite frankly, do not understand what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is truth and what is error. Having said that, let me call attention to some of the things that I believe are fragmenting and destroying the nation as we know it. And ultimately, it could be summed up because of our misplaced values. Number one, it is what I would call the silent American Holocaust. Many of us are familiar 
with our history books, we are well aware of the events that occurred in Germany under the regime of Adolf Hitler. And we talk about the millions of people that were exterminated under his leadership. And in looking at that part of, of history, I do not know of any rational, right-thinking person who does not conclude that that was morally wrong. But when we talk about the silent American Holocaust, we are talking about something that in its very scope is much larger than the atrocities that were committed under the regime of Adolf Hitler. It is called abortion. Did you know that since 1973, abortion has been performed legally in this country. The National Right to Life Committee reports that the total number of abortions performed in the United States from 1973 through 2011 was 54 million, 559,615 babies. Now you tell me, what is worse? The atrocities that were committed, committed under Adolf Hitler or that which has been sanctioned by our country since 1973. The verdict is in. And we as a nation of people are guilty to our very core. We have bloody hands. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That includes the baby in the womb and the baby out of the womb. If you look at the New Testament in Luke chapters one and two, the Bible describes the baby in the womb and the baby out of the womb as a human being. You can go back and you can check the original. And what that tells us is that God deems human life to exist in the womb of the mother. There is no argumentation there from a biblical vantage point. I'm not talking about the verdict of the Supreme Court. I'm not talking about the verdict of other nations. I'm telling you, this is what God in heaven says. God in heaven says in Proverbs chapter six, that there are seven things the Lord hates, one of which hands that shed innocent blood. There are a lot of people in our nation that will stand before Almighty God and give an account for having shed innocent blood. It is the silent American Holocaust. Secondly, the alternative lifestyle or homosexuality. There was a day and time in our country where people who practiced homosexuality did that under a cloak of darkness. As a matter of fact, many individuals were ashamed of their lifestyle. 
It ought not be lost on us that many of those who were considered stars in Hollywood in days gone by who were practicing homosexuals hid their sexual orientation because they feared what the American public would say. They feared the backlash that would occur if people knew the life that they were living. Did you know that on May the 9th, 2012, President Obama gave his support to same-sex marriage? That is a landmark event in this country. Make no mistake about it. Within the last 20 years, the homosexual community has sought to mainstream their perverse lifestyle. And let me just say this, for the most part, they have succeeded. I want to read for you an article, a portion of an article that was taken yesterday from the Jackson Clarion Ledger. The title of the article is Brands Enter Gay Debate. Here's what it said. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos waded into a developing corporate culture war over gay marriage. Friday, with a $2.5 million donation to keep same-sex unions legal in Washington, becoming the latest in a high list of high-profile executives to take public stands on a hot election issue. Bezos joins Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates and companies like Starbucks Incorporated and Nike Incorporated with support to the campaign to uphold Washington's law. And while fast food chain Chick-fil-A set off a furor opposing same-sex unions this month, other companies, including big names like General Mills and Nabisco, are brushing off fears that support for gay marriage could hurt their bottom line. Now listen to this. Gay, right, gay rights ad advocates say that activism sends a strong message. Companies are a bellwether of what is in the mainstream, said Mark Solomon, the national campaign manager for Freedom to Marry, a New York-based group that advocates for same-sex marriage. When you have some of the mainstays of corporate leadership stand up, that's important. It sends a powerful message about where our society is right now. You can go back and look at the statistics, and there has been a shift in our culture, in our nation, regarding the acceptability of homosexuality. There was a time in our country when it was deemed a perverse lifestyle. It has gained acceptance by and large by mainstream society. Now I want you to think about something for a minute. What is it politicians are interested in? They are interested in your vote. What is it corporate America is interested in? They are interested in your pocketbook. I'm not interested in your pocketbook and I am not interested in your vote. I want to make that unequivocally plain. What I am interested in is what God in heaven says. Now there are a lot of people in our country that have shifted in their thinking regarding this lifestyle. And please hear me out very carefully. 
It doesn't matter if the Supreme Court says that same-sex marriage is a viable marital relationship. It doesn't matter if the President of the United States makes the same statement. I understand the implications of that from our country vantage point. They may be legalized in our country. It may be sanctioned by the laws of our land, but it will never be sanctioned by Almighty God. God in heaven will never recognize same-sex marriages. He never has, he never will. I don't want you to leave here today and misunderstand that point. It's not about politics, it's not about corporate America, it's about right or wrong, truth or error. Now, there are a lot of politicians that say they believe what the Bible says. There are some politicians out there, and many are in Washington, and they say that they are quote unquote Christian people. Well, let me just say this, if you are a Bible-believing person, then you need to understand that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God in heaven condemned and condemns homosexuality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and you do not have to be a Greek student to understand this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the apostle Paul said, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. And then, in verse 11, he said, Such were some of you indicating past tense, that they had given up that lifestyle. The point is, God said, if you practice this kind of lifestyle, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now we talk about the status of our nation. Listen, I have no idea what God in heaven will do in the future concerning our nation. I do not know what the future holds. I know who holds the future. But I do know this. And I would encourage the president of our country, I would encourage our Senate, our Congress, I would encourage every right-thinking person to read what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2 when he spoke of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember what happened to them? God destroyed them with fire and brimstone. And the Bible says that God has made them an example to those who will live ungodly. That's what the book says. That's what the Bible teaches. Now we can like it, we can dislike it, we can say we believe it or we disbelieve it, but the bottom line is this. It says what it says and it means what it means and it's not subject to change. I don't know if you read the sign outside on our billboard, but the billboard simply says, we do not change the word, it changes us. I do not have the right to change what God in heaven has said in his word. God in heaven is the one who legislates my behavior. I do not tell God how I'm going to live. He tells me how I'm going to live. We don't alter the word to fit our lifestyle, but rather we are to alter our lives to fit the word. Number three, the cost of crime in America. Economist David Anderson, who is a teaching adjunct professor at Davidson College, 
reports the total cost of crime in America, listen to this, is a staggering $1.7 trillion. That's in America. Have we lost our mind? You know why we have a proliferation of crime in our country? I can tell you why. It's because we have said no to this book that we call the Bible. That's why. In Hosea chapter 4, Hosea in the long ago indicted the children of God because he said there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. He said there is lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery. He went on to say they break all restraint. What was the problem? They closed their minds to the word of God. If you want to see a country go morally bankrupt, then you just watch as that country closes their minds to the word of God. Why is it we have a proliferation of crime in our country today? Why is it that people are stealing and killing and doing any number of horrendous things? It's because they've said no to the word of God. Let me also state this. CBS News on April 22, 2012 indicates that incarceration costs taxpayers annually $63.4 billion per year. We're spending, your tax money is being used to incarcerate prisons all across this country every day. What we need to do is go back and read Romans chapter 13. We need to develop a healthy appreciation for what the Bible has to say about the laws of the land, including capital punishment. There is a reason why God mandated capital punishment. It is a deterrent to evildoers. Why do you think men and women all across this country engage in heinous crimes? Because they fear nothing more than a slap on the wrist. Number four, economic irresponsibility. Our country's leaders, I really don't even know where to begin here. Our country's leaders, by and large, are irresponsible with our taxpayer money. Did you know that our nation's debt is an astounding $15.9 trillion? Did you know that you would have to spend $10 million per day over the course of 273 years to spend $1 trillion? What does that say? Let me tell you what it says to me. We, we are in a lot of trouble. When you, think, when you think about spending $10 million a day for 273 years and we have the idea that we're going to somehow pay this money back, Our leaders in this nation, 
they need to wake up. There needs to be a sense of accountability in our nation. I remember many years ago, a friend of mine, and I was just a young fellow at the time. I was right out of college. And an older gentleman took me under his wing and talked to me about business and some other things. And he made this statement to me on one occasion. He said, if the door is open and the heat is on, how long are you going to keep the how long are you going to keep the door open? You can't spend what you don't have. I wish the people in Washington could get that point. You can't spend what you don't have. Listen to me very carefully. We don't have it. The conclusion is we should not be spending it. There are a lot of program, programs that our government has enacted to help people. I am not opposed to helping people. Please do not misunderstand me. I understand that there are social programs that are intended to help people because of their impoverished condition. But we have set up a system that by and large encourages people to do nothing. Here's what the Bible says, and I'm not concerned about what Washington says. I want to know what the Word of God says. The Bible says, if a man will not work, do not let him eat. Do you understand that? If a man will not work, do not let him eat. We have a system that says it's better to stay home. The best thing you can do is don't work. I was talking to a brother the other day, and let me just say this. We're not going to finish this lesson, but I want to just make this observation. I was talking to a brother the other day that owns a business, and he was telling me about an employee. And he said that this particular employee is on workers' compensation. Well, he said the business that he is running is going great guns right now. They have more than they can say grace over, which is a good thing. He needs this man. This man doesn't have viable transportation, so he said, I'll give him a company truck. Furthermore, he said, I'll put him in a truck, I'll let him go around to certain jobs, I'll pay him his salary, and he can work. The last time I talked to him, he said he has not been able to get that, that fellow on the telephone. He said somebody in the warehouse can call him, and he'll call him back. But he won't call the boss back. Why is that? Because he doesn't want to work. That is simply in my estimation, an example of what's going on all across our country. It's easier to sit home and do nothing and get a check than to work. You may agree or disagree. But the bottom line is truth is truth. And the Bible says if a man won't work, don't let him eat. I would point out that this brother told the insurance company when he gets well, no need for him to come back. I don't need him because he doesn't want to work. That's the way it ought to be. 
In closing, let me just say this, and I'll pick up here next week, the Lord willing. Here's what Isaiah said. What he said then was good, and I think what he said then is applicable to us today. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Remove the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here's the point. There's always time. Well, maybe I ought to back up. We can wait too late. But right now we have time and opportunity to turn things around. My plea to the people of our country, turn around before it's too late. My plea to us today, we as God's people have to be a voice for what's right. We have to stand up for truth. It may be the case that some people don't like it. Paul asked the question on one occasion, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, truth is what saves. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It may be the case that you're here today, maybe you're not a child of God. Could we encourage you to come to Christ? We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you would be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess his name before others, be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, the Bible says God will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. Every sin will be washed away, Acts 22:16. 16. God will add you to the body, the redeemed, the cleansed, that is the church. And then if you'll live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you're here today, you're not faithful to his cause. Could we encourage you to come home? Come back before it's too late. James, or rather, well, James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you? And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.